Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast. I'm your host, Sister Sally. And in case you didn't notice, um, the scene looks a little different today. Um, I don't have my co-host, Steph, with me. She is in New York for some family time for Thanksgiving, and we kind of just had some overlapping where we weren't able to get an episode filmed together. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to just film one by myself and um, basically tell you guys a little bit more about me, about Sally, and how I got to where I am at. And I know anybody who has been following this podcast knows that we kind of started this a little bit on um, my story um, about how I got here, why we started the podcast. And so I'm just going to dive a little deeper into that topic of my story and where this all began. Um, so I basically where I wanted to start was um, back in Minnesota, where I'm from. You know, I was telling you guys a little bit about how I was in an abusive relationship. And that's a lot of where this podcast started is like raising awareness to this topic of domestic violence and making sure that we are always standing up as females and women for each other. Um, about not only this topic, but many other topics. So when I was in Minnesota, I, um, I was a hairstylist. I am a hairstylist. I have for, been for now like 13, almost 14 years. Um, and I met somebody um, there who I ended up getting into a relationship with. And he was extremely physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. Um, I stayed in that relationship for about two years. Uh, and this relationship exceeded me in the hospital. I was hospitalized multiple times for um, physical abuse. I was, uh, I, I lost all my friends. Um, I even pretty much lost most of my family. I was extremely isolated. Um, this person kind of did the classic narcissistic abuse things that we read about and hear about um, basically telling me that, you know, I didn't need my family, I didn't need my friends, and I all, all I needed was him. And, you know, this, there's many stories of me, um, you know, trying to fight my way out of that and being physically abused. So I stayed in this relationship probably a lot longer than um, you'd think because of fear of what could happen to me, to my family, um, and just like fear in general of him, if I were to say or do the wrong thing, what could have possibly happened to me? So this was something that I endured for two full years. Um, you know, halfway through, I did try to leave and I ended up getting back into it, which is the case for most people in these situations is like usually takes a couple tries before you end up actually exiting this relationship, if you ever do. And I know a lot of our listeners have reached out to me and told me that they have been in similar situations. And I just wanted to say that we're so thankful for anybody reaching out, telling us your stories, telling us more you want to talk about what will make you feel better about these situations. And if you just have any questions or things you need to hear more about or help, and we're here to help always. So this was something that I was that was happening in my life for about two years. Going into COVID, I was with this person. Um, we actually were locked down together in my 
condo back in Minneapolis. He and I then reached new levels of abuse during that time because we were in the same place for a long time, for months together. Um, And this even resulted in like him stealing money from me, um, manipulating me into taking out a small business loan. Um, This is something that I am still dealing with to this day. So uh, I just wanted to like highlight that too, that abuse, even though you leave the person or the abusive relationship that you're in doesn't mean that everything's going to be fixed immediately. I went through a lot of like really hard times and still am and triggers all the things that come with this for a long time after I left. So basically what happened was, is the whole situation came to a head. Um, I knew months before I left the relationship that I was done. I just had this like idea in my head that I needed to create an exit plan which I did. I kind of like created this plan in my head of like how I was going to leave and make sure that it was going to be the safest way possible without having to call the police because the person I was with and the group that I would surround myself with um, ingrained it in my brain that you don't call the police. Like you are not a cop caller. You're not a snitch. You're not somebody who does that. And I just want to say right there that that is... I don't care what anybody says about me when I say this, but you are not a snitch and you are not somebody that's frowned upon if you call the police when you are fearful of your life. Because at at that moment, the only people he was afraid of were the police. So the fact that I couldn't get away from him any other way was the reason why I finally did make that decision to call for help. I had tried to get help in other ways and it didn't work. So just making, putting that point out there that don't let anybody tell you for those reasons. If it comes to a matter of you or your family's safety or it's a life or death situation, you are allowed to pick up the phone and call. I'm from a place called Minneapolis, Minnesota, and that is a place that we, most of us dislike our police force because of what has happened. Um, And that's like a whole nother issue but, you know, that is where George Floyd was murdered. And I do stand, I did stand and do stand with that. But this was a whole different situation. So when this was happening, I was still in a relationship with this person. So it was kind of like another manipulation tactic that he used was when the whole George Floyd thing was happening, he was like, how dare you even think about calling the police on me, like after everything that's happening. So like it prolonged me getting to my safe place. So I allowed him to like manipulate my mind and let me believe that maybe he's right. Maybe I can't do that. I can't call the police because what he is a black man and what could happen to him and then it's my fault. So I refrained even longer, even though I had separated myself from him. I had ran. I ran away to Florida to stay with a friend. And I, when I came back, I was still running. So I was couch hopping from different friends' houses, but I was still in contact with him because I hadn't completely closed the door. But I had called the police on him because the one night, the last night I was around him in person, he looked in me directly into my eyes. And you know when somebody's just like not home and it seems like there's somebody else there, it's like almost like they're possessed or like there's no soul in those eyes. You see something really terrifying. 
And he told me, he said, you know, I have anger problems. And this was happening with all over his face. I couldn't, there was no human in there. And there was just complete and utter rage coming through him. And he said, if you don't understand that I have anger problems, if I broke your skull open tonight, would you finally understand? And that's how I knew that he was serious. And I chose to call the police. So I got myself out of the situation and I joined or I went to Cornerstone, which in Minneapolis and I, there's all different types of organizations around the United States like this. But in Minneapolis, it was called Cornerstone. It is like basically a nonprofit organization for domestic violence victims. So it is all volunteers basically ready to answer hotlines, ready to help you do whatever you need to do to get out of these situations. So I finally called them and I had an advocate with me taking the necessary steps for me to get an order of protection. And if you would have asked me to tell this story like even a year ago, I would have been scared to tell it because yes, I did call the police. I pressed charges on the sense of like an order of protection against this human being from being around me because I was scared of my life for my life. He threatened my life. He threatened my family he had hospitalized me before. He had broken bones, hit me in the face like so many times, thrown me down staircases. So finally I woke up and realized, yes, I needed to do something about this. So I filed an order of protection. He chose to fight it and I had to go to court, meaning I had to look this person in the face over a Zoom call for multiple hearings. It was horrible. It was excruciating pain seeing this person tell lies saying that he didn't feel that it was necessary for me to have this order of protection. And he had, he hired a lawyer. So these are all like the extreme circumstances. Like most people who are abusive will definitely like not try to fight it. They'll usually accept, a lot of them will accept the restraining order or accept the order of protection but then there are the other side of it where they truly believe, and this is narcissistic behavior, they truly believe that they did not do anything. So they're like, well, why would I accept this and have it on my record if I didn't do anything? She made me do this, right? So I went through that whole thing. And finally, the judge was like, okay, enough is enough. Like the order of protection is passed. You may not contact, go anywhere near, whatever. I hadn't yet moved to Florida. I was staying on friends' couches during this time and I was, I had basically lost my home because he knew where I lived and he also destroyed the entire inside of my condo when I was about to sell it right after that because living in that home felt like, like pure evil was like infested over there, all over my furniture, my walls, everything. I felt like I couldn't even be inside there. When I was packing my things, I had a time window of about 30 minutes I could even stand to be inside my own home that I bought by myself. So it was devastating for me. I ended up packing all my clothes up, putting them in storage, and I dumped all of my furniture. I threw it in the dumpster. He, he had destroyed everything I own. So I knew in my head I had to start over, but I didn't really know how yet. I was kind of like procrastinating um, in the sense of like just going through the motions, like, you know, I would still go to work and 
I would sleep on my friends' couches, sleep at my parents' house. And then I was like, in my head, I was saying to myself, you know, you got to move. You just have to move. You can't live your whole life looking over your shoulder. So I I just was saying this, like, where am I going to move to? You know, the first time I tried to leave him, I came down to Florida to stay with a friend and I fell in love with Miami. Um, before that I thought it was just a place to vacation, but once I was down here for a month during COVID and like actually living here, I was like, wow, I really love it here. Um, so Miami was always in the forefront of my mind thinking like, well, why can't I live there? Why can't I live there? You know? And, um, I was still going through the motions, sleeping on my friend's couches. I bounced around from a couple people's houses where I was sleeping. Um, cause no offense to my mom, but it's really hard for us to hang out together all the time. So I would sleep on a couple different friends' couches and thankful still to this, this day for those friends. Thank you so much for giving that to me. Um, and finally, I was like, you know what? I just need to do it. Like, I need to move. I need to pack up my car. I need to move to Miami. And I started telling people finally, cause I hadn't told anybody because I wasn't 1000% sure. And the thing that made me 1000% sure was I was out one night at a bar in Minneapolis. <clears throat> and the thing about Minneapolis is it's a really small city. So everybody knows everybody and everybody knows everybody's business and everybody slept with everybody. Everybody just is all entangled. Right? So I, ran into somebody who was actually best friends with my ex's ex-girlfriend. And pre- earlier that year, she had committed suicide. They ruled it as a suicide. And I was there when he got the phone call. And when he got the phone call, I listened to him and I watched him and I heard him. And in my mind, it looked like guilt. It didn't look like grief. It looked like guilt. But, you know, I was there for him or whatever when this time was happening because he was my boyfriend. Um, And this girl came up to me in the bar. And this was my deciding factor where I was like, I'm so done. Like, I can't even hold on to one more thing. Um, She came up to me. She pulled me aside and she said, you know, I just wanted to let you know that, like, I'm so proud of you for finally leaving him. And she was like saying, you know, her best friend who dated him. Um, wasn't as lucky as me to get out when she when I did and she said you know maybe if she got out when you did she'd still be alive and I was like what do you mean and she basically told me that don't let anybody fool you he did the same exact things to her he beat her he abused her for years and she never got over it and she was so depressed and not herself and she took her own life it like hit me so hard to the point where I started sobbing and I knew I had to do something, not only for myself, but for her. And that's when I decided to finally file the order of protection. And that's when I packed up my car and I drove down to Miami. I got an Airbnb for the month. I had, I had, I think like $8,000 in my bank account total at all, like no extra. The Airbnb was $3,000 and I had a month to figure out what was going to happen next. So I just took my clothes, moved to this Airbnb, and I was like, all right, like I'm here. I went and got a job at a restaurant in Coral Gables serving tables, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to figure it out. And I finally, after isolating myself from my friends and family for so long, I started to lean on people. Finally, I started to open up and tell everybody what happened and say I needed help. 
And because I did, I needed help. And, you know, thank God for my uncle and my best friend, John Ross. They helped me out financially a little bit so that I was able to get my first apartment here. Um, Because in Miami, I don't know if you guys know, but you need to have first, last, and security deposit. So it's about $9,000 up front for any sort of like one to two bedroom apartment. And I already had went through half of the money I had saved. And I also lost money on the sale of my house because of all of the destruction my ex did to it. It was basically a lost cause because of how much needed to be repaired. So I borrowed a little bit of money from my uncle and a little bit of money from my best friend and I got an apartment and I decided, you know, like I wasn't going to do this the hard way. I was, or I wasn't going to do this the easy way. I was going to do this the hard way. Meaning I was going to make sure I did this all on my own. Yes, I borrowed a little bit of money, but I wanted to make sure that I paid that money back and I got on my feet all by myself. It was something that I had to do for myself and to like kind of basically overcome everything that had happened to me. I felt like everything was stripped from me, like taken from me. Like I, he took everything, like all the way down to even who I was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. So I also sought out therapy and I did do some pretty intensive PTSD therapy for about six months. I went through therapy um, with a therapist who specialized in post-traumatic stress. Um, So that was one of the things I had to work through. I also, you know, was drinking a lot when I first moved to Miami. I was going out. I was partying. I was just out all the time, numbing myself constantly, numbing, numbing, numbing. And then, you know, periodically I would have overwhelming feelings of like fear and just shame about myself. And I just like didn't want to feel like that anymore. And um, I just remember calling one of my friends back home and just starting to sob and like cry and be like, I don't even know why I'm crying. I just hate him so much. He literally ruined my life. He took everything from me. And she said, yeah, but so what? What are you going to do now? That's over. It's done with. What are you going to do about it now? And I was like, you're right. Like, I need to stop thinking about how much I hate him and think about how much I'm thankful for where I'm at now. I was sleeping on a floor when I first got my apartment. Like, I legit slept on no mattress, no nothing, just blankets on the floor because I couldn't afford a bed. I had used every dollar in my bank account along with borrowing some to get the apartment I was in. So I had this apartment for a year. I just had to come up with rent every month, right? So that was in my brain. I was like, okay, I only need this much rent. I need to find a roommate. Found a roommate. So, okay, now I only need half this rent. And once I save up this amount, I can buy a mattress. So once I saved up, you know, about $600, $700, I bought the mattress I wanted. And then I was like, I'm just going to sleep on this mattress until I can afford the bed I want. Because one thing about this whole situation, I decided I wasn't going to just start over. I was going to start over and have the life I wanted. Not just one for the time being. It was going to be what I wanted And it was going to be all built by me. So I wasn't just going to go get a bed off Facebook Marketplace. No. I was going to sleep on that fucking floor until I could afford the $5,000 bed that I wanted. And I did. I slept on a floor until I could afford the $5,000 bed that I wanted. And let me tell you, that bed is so worth it. It is the most comfortable bed I've ever slept in in my entire life. 
So then I just had a bed. That was all I had. Watching TV on my computer, like, until I could afford a TV. Then I got a TV. And then, you know, finally I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to buy a couch. I may not be able to buy the couch I want. By the way, this is the couch. Um, another like $6,000 right here. Um, but I wanted the couch I wanted. And, I, and this couch, you know, I knew was this, the beginning to a fresh start because I could like expand on this couch. I took a while to pick out which couch I wanted. And I knew that I could expand it and add pieces. It's a love sack couch, by the way. So it's like very comfortable, like as comfortable as a cloud couch, but you can add pieces. So as my home gets bigger or I add to my family or whatever it is, I can add to this couch. Um, and that's what I wanted. So then I bought a couch and I was just so proud of myself. I started to really get back on my feet. And I realized too, you know, when all this was happening that, you know, I was still doing hair at this time, but I was serving tables because it was the easiest way for me to make money. I was really trying to create my own business without going to work for another salon because I had worked for myself for so long that I was like determined to start my own business right off the ground. Um, it wasn't working as well because I did work in the night industry. So I was working, you know, from 2 PM until 3 AM and sleeping until I had to get up again. So it was really hard for me to meet people and get clients. So one of my friends suggested I go work for IGK and I did exactly that. I did it to build a clientele. I'm, I'm very thankful for all the opportunities that IGK gave me and I learned a lot. Um, however, I have already talked about this, but I did leave and I am doing exactly what I want now. And that is, I have my own business. I am a private hairstylist. I have a couple of celebrity clientele and I travel and now I'm starting to host events. Today I was just at Soho Beach House hosting my very first event there and it's the start to an amazing partnership. So I'm so excited about that. But all of this happened in slightly over two years. So I just wanted to put it into perspective and why I wanted to have this episode was for anybody. It doesn't even have to be anybody in like an abusive relationship. This could be anything happening in your life that causes you the feeling to want to start over. Basically, all I want to say is like, I don't want anybody to be afraid of starting over. If I could even tell you how many times I've had to start over in my life, it's crazy. I know me and Steph have talked about this before, but you you never know. You might like your new story better. So don't be afraid to start over. I am so thankful for my process and where it all took me. And now I can honestly say I'm thankful for the abusive relationship I went through. It made me a very strong and compassionate and loving woman because I was able to work through all that trauma, all those emotions, all those feelings, um, even the hate I had to work through. And now I can honestly say I don't hate him anymore. I actually rarely think about him anymore, which is crazy because I used to think about him all the time. And um, I'm not living in fear anymore. And I'm not saying you have to run away and start a new life in a new city, but hey, it works for me, so... And basically the whole reason I wanted to have this episode was to kind of motivate everybody and to just be able to have that conversation with yourself, like whatever it is that you're going through, like there are other people going through it and you're not alone. 
And that if you feel the urge to start over, just do it. It's never going to make you a worse person. It's always going to make you better. And every day I'm getting better and better. I have, you know, a new boyfriend now and we've run into some stuff when it comes to triggers and hard things that we've both been through. And I'm able to handle it a lot more with patience now and compassion for him in the sense of like, you know, he has triggers too. He's been through shit too. And I'm able to take a step back and be like, okay, just be patient with him. Like, let's figure this out instead of me being like, oh my God, fuck this. Like I'm done. Like I can't be, you know, like I'm able to see situations for what they are and people for who they are and not combine the two, if that makes sense. And it's just like teaching me to be just more of the woman I've like always wanted to be. And I'm still like coming into that and the relationship I'm in now I actually think has become has taught me to be even more patient and even more loving and I just am so proud of that and I couldn't have gotten here without everything that I went through and I just want everybody to have that you know idea in their head that there is like a light at the end of the tunnel and like any horrible thing that you're in it doesn't last forever and it will come to a head and you will like overcome it. I remember when I was going through one of my first breakups and one of my friends like sent me some quote or something to read. And it was basically like, you know, you're walking through this like dark time and it's like, seems like it's just so dark and there's like nothing giving you that motivation to get to the other side. And then all of a sudden, boom, you wake up and you're like on a sunny park bench talking with a friend and laughing about that thing that you thought was never going to end. And I remember that all the time because that's literally how I feel like my story goes. It's like it was it felt like I was walking through darkness. I had a dark cloud over my head all the time. And now I look back on it and I'm actually thankful for it. So that's kind of like what I wanted to talk about today. And I'm very thankful to be here and able to share my story This is something I'm super passionate about and I um, hope to continue to be able to share this with more and more people. And that's the whole purpose that I started this podcast for. Um, And I would love people to send me feedback and, you know, let me know what you think or if there's more you want to hear. And um, I think that's all I've got for today. But uh, thank you guys so much and I will see you next week.